Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. I am Dan Martin, special effects artist. Ooh, uh, Biffa nominated special effects artist yeah. now. Uh, and uh, we're doing another two back-to-back, so I won't know whether I've won for the next one. But by the time it goes up, I will know that I am sad and have lost. Um, and I am joined, as I always am, by my illustrious co-host... Sam Ashurst, and uh, what what uh, what are you nominated for for Biffa? Oh yeah, I should probably say that, shouldn't yeah. I? Um, uh, best special effects. It's a new category they have at the Biffers this year, and uh, yeah, it's for a film called Double Date. Mm-hmm. We talked about Double Date before. Don't I think mentioned so. it. Played at Fright Fest, did quite well there. People seem to like it. Um, it was really good fun, and uh, and you know the the person I was working with most on that, the creature performer James Swanton. Yeah, he's a fantastic stage actor in his own right, and I'm sort of trying to turn into the next Doug Jones, I guess. He is an incredible, incredible actor. Yeah, great actor. And um, I've got my own little bit of showing off to do this week. When this podcast goes out, it will be a couple of weeks before my music video, which Dan also worked on. He did some explosions for. Um, That's going to be on... A music video that I directed is going to be on Channel 4, uh, on Channel 4's Random Acts at midnight on Thursday, December 14th, which is the same day. Star Wars The Last Jedi comes out, so I'm sure... Is that a coincidence? Everyone's going to be home watching my... Yeah, Lucasfilm's not going to know what hit them. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Disney, I guess now. (laughs) Suck it, Lucas. (laughs) We thought this would do much better. (laughs) The the earlier screenings were good, but there was a real drop-off for the late-night screenings. They're normally... Oh, no, is it Thursday? So it's actually, it's the midnight's the first one. Well, whatever happens, George Lucas is going to be at home sad. He doesn't give a fuck, he sold it. I know, he, I know. <laughs> he's, he's at home in his Scrooge McDuck-style swimming pool. I do, yeah, I do. Diving into coins. I thought we were going to carry on the joke that we were, we were um, competing with George Lucas. But no, we, we've gone into the fact zone. Oh, sorry, which I didn't... Is that, yes, George Lucas did sell it to the mouse. Yeah, so we're, it's the mouse that is going to be the at home crying. Against. But anyway, we're not here to talk about my, you do anything else? my incredible music video or, or Star Wars or even Dan's Biffa nomination. We are here to talk about coffee. Yes. Um, I was going to say the other one. What was the other one? <laughs> well, no, the one we're doing next time. Oh, yes. We're doing two back-to-back. And yes, we should mention that. Actually, we're doing two back-to-back because uh, uh, for, for time reasons, And basically. Christmas and Christmas things, and, life. Yeah, lots of, lots of life things. So... Um, Again, you know, if, if anything dramatic happens in the film industry, we've got no idea, and that's why we're not talking about it. So um, Yeah, well, that's it. Like, well, so the, the reason we did the two together last time was because I was going to be going to Toronto, mm. and that's, that film's been pushed to next year now, so mm. I'm not in Toronto. No. So yeah. I'm in here in London. Right, well, um, we, should, uh, we should talk about the film, really. Um, yeah. Coffee. Yeah, let's just jump into how, how you first saw it. Let's do it that way this time. Um, well, how I first saw coffee, now that would have been in the early 2000s. Um, now, I, I should say right off the bat, I'm not a massive uh, black exploitation expert. Um, it's one of my sort of weaker areas of knowledge. Like I've seen sort of the big ones, but I certainly don't have as wide knowledge as Dan does about black exploitation. <laughs> well, you've seen a lot more than me. Yeah, right. When was the first time you saw Coffee? Um, well, Coffee was one of these ones when I used to go up to Camden in my mid-teens uh, from Winchester uh, to visit uh, Tony, who seems to be a regular mention now, <laughs> uh, Tony's shop um, up in the Camden stalls. I there was a there was another stand nearby that sold soundtrack CDs or well music CDs normally kind of funk stuff and that kind of thing and they had some collections of funk sound sound uh, like soundtracks compilations which I'm pretty certain were all unlicensed bootlegs one of them was called Funk on Film um, and it had the music the theme music from Coffee mm. was one of the ones that really stuck in my head I absolutely adored. And so I was very, very familiar with the music before I ever saw the film. Okay. Which has happened to me a few times, like Jallos and Westerns and stuff, Spaghetti mm. Westerns. Um, that's happened to me as well. But, um, but yeah, so it was one I sort of hunted down. Um, and I think I got it through Tony. Through, I, bought, I bought it at the shop. Okay. Um, back then. So I guess like 18, 19, maybe. Okay. So what, what year would that be for the folks back home? Uh, 90, maybe. Right. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, something like that. That, that makes sense. And so, um, how did you feel watching Arrow's Blu-ray version? Um, yeah, like you know, as with all these things, it's it's a it's such a massive jump up from what I'd seen before. It was a VHS when I first watched it. I have a DVD of it that I was given 
by a friend, a director friend, who moved to Asia to run an animation studio, children's animation studio. Oh, yeah. And he Spike. was getting rid of... Yeah, Spike. Mm-hmm. Lovely Simon Pike. Who's uh, staying out for longer now, sadly. Oh, He's wow, got, got another bloody job. It Come turns, home, out, turns out if you're good at stuff, oh. <laughs> they make you stay and do more of it. Um, yeah, so he, he gave... Uh, he, gave he had a, a bunch of his discs that he was sort of thinning out and uh, and he was like taking sort of asking people to do charitable donations in exchange rather than selling mm-hmm, them mm-hmm. which I thought was nice uh, and that's been on the shelf since and I've not watched it so I've only seen the VHS, oh, right. I've only seen the VHS one before and yeah like like with all the Irish stuff it's a really lovely really lovely remaster it's crisp and you see details uh, that you wouldn't have seen before mm, and it's um, it's you know even though I haven't seen tons of stuff uh, in the sort of subgenre. Uh, I have seen Coffee quite a few times. Um, I do really love it. I think it's kind of an amazing action film. Um, And it's actually quite an important film, full stop, uh, for loads of different reasons. Um, Mainly, it was the first uh, American film to have a female action lead. Um, Obviously, the fact that she was black was important as well because um, this was a kind of incredibly racist time in um, cinema um, and I know that Jack Hill kind of had a bit of trouble uh, not only did he want black people in front of the camera he wanted black people behind the camera but because of the way the system worked at, at that stage there just wasn't really any crew um, the, the only sort of person he could get was um, a stuntman he couldn't get any sort of um, you know technical people whereas obviously today you'd be able to yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. quite easily. Um, and so I, I know that, that one of the things that Jack Hill's sort of most proud of in the film or about the film is the fact that he brought black actors and characters into the mainstream, um, which certainly wasn't the case at the time. Um, yeah, it was, and it was, a, it was a really big success as well at the time. It made a lot huge. more money than a lot of other people thought. And um, like I think Hill's career um, and Greer's career as well yeah. kind of, jumped a few steps because of the success of Oh, definitely. Of yeah, it was, it was her first lead role. And, um, and actually, interestingly, it kind of started life um, as kind of like a, a, a rip-off. You know how um, in, in Hollywood sometimes you get those movies where, like, two animated Bugs films would be released at the same time? Weirdly, my brain immediately went to Ants and Bugs <laughs> as well when you start to describe it. <laughs> I know what you mean. Amazing. So... Um, uh, there, but, there was a, two volcano films or two there you go. at the same time as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, two uh, end of the uh, world movies. Armageddon and Deep Impact. Yeah, exactly. same year. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that kind of thing. However, this wasn't a coincidence. Um, basically, the um, the producers um, had heard about uh, a film happening at Warner Brothers, um, which was basically a, a black female lead revenge movie. What was it? Um, that was Cleopatra Jones. Yeah, Cleopatra Jones. Yeah. And so they kind of put Coffee into production, kind of partly as revenge because they got a bit messed over. They were involved in it um, to start with, and then they weren't anymore. Um, so they approached Jack Hill and basically told him that um, that they want to do a, a black female revenge film. Um, and I think the only stipulation they gave was that Coffee would kill the shit out of two white guys in that opening <laughs> scene. Um, and, and other than that, uh, Hill had sort of free reign. Um, but what's doubly interesting is that through Fate or the Universe or whatever, it was released in the same weekend as Cleopatra Jones, uh, which was much more expensive, much more slick. But there's something about the grittiness and the realism Yeah, it of suits coffee. the content a lot more. Completely, and, and obviously it did much better at the box office and, as you say, changed the careers of, of everyone involved, really. Yeah, I mean, Hill didn't... I mean, obviously, Hill went on to direct other films, but he didn't have the longest career. I don't really... Do you know what happens to him? Um, I, I don't know... He did. Um, I think he only did like maybe half a dozen more films after this. I think. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't actually know why he stopped. Um, maybe he felt answers that... on a postcard. Yeah, <laughs> right into Arrow, um, our, our Arrow email address, which we'll give at the end of the show if we remember. Um, I'll try to remember. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, no. I mean, I, I really like Jack Hill like a lot, um, and you know, we could talk all day about his other movies, but with Coffee specifically. I think that this is a really underrated script. I think the dialogue is amazing. Yeah, um, very cool. You know, you can see why Tarantino likes it. But also the, the direction as well. Um, there's a lot of 
you know, a lot of visual stuff that that foreshadows stuff later on, and you only really sort of pick it up the second time you watch it. Um, and yeah, it's just a really, really well written, well shot film. Um, how do you feel about the direction and the script, Daniel? Uh, I like it. I mean, to be honest, as good as the direction and the script are, it's always going to be a film with an insane amount of violence and nudity in it. Like that's, I think that is as much to do with its success as the actual quality of the film. Like it was, it's a really exciting, fun exploitation movie mm-hmm. that also happened to be a black exploitation movie. I think my point is more that um, with a lot of these kind of exploitation films, like across all the subgenres, you do get a lot of violence and nudity, um, you know, across all of them. Yeah. And, you know, he, he could have just done that. Um, yeah, no, you're right. But, I, I but think there's, it... there's, there's more, I, for me personally, I think it's more, um, more the the dialogue's more natural the sort of psychological approach is more interesting like there's a moment no um, you you laugh but there's a moment where you know coffee has just killed those two guys she's talking to the the cop about the morality of what she's done and he is sympathetic is this the first cop scene uh, yeah, he's yeah. sympathetic yeah, yeah, yeah. to... Oh, no, no, not the very okay. first one but um but anyway he's sympathetic to the 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 drug addicts who are basically committing crime to feed their addiction. And there's a moment... You don't get that in, in a lot of these films. Normally it's just, you know, good and evil, the the baddies are the baddies, the goodies are the goodies. But this yeah. is a moment where it's like, oh, well, holy fuck, what is the morality so it's, of... It's interesting that this was anti-drugs in 73, which was a slightly unusual take for, for like, counterculture films. And yet it was anti-drugs without being down on the drug users. Mm. It was down on the drug pushers and the drug sellers. And so obviously Greer's character is, is avenging the hospitalisation and vegetabilisation of her younger sister, who was given a, a hokey bunch of heroin, like cut heroin, which is... What are we doing about spoilers on this one? Oh, I, th- I think, you know, it's yeah. fine. Um, which is ultimately what film. sort of saves coffee later because they try and inject it with heroin which she herself has swapped for something else and it's only because she's swapped it for something more innocuous that she is saved so there's that kind of like little mirror exactly, where yeah. both of the sisters are injected with something that they, people think is heroin and isn't heroin yeah. and in the sister's uh, situation it hospitalises her and in coffee's situation it allows her to stab Sidhaig in the neck <laughs> Yeah, and like, yeah, there's just really interesting stuff, like all the stuff about the the dream state that she feels that she's gone into, like she's almost living a nightmare, and um, you know that that comes back sort of right at the end. So I don't, I don't massively want to spoil that, but and yeah, sort of background characters become kind of important later on. And, yeah, you know, I I just think that there's a lot going on there, and and you mentioned the the, the nudity. Um, did you have a problem with the nudity, Dan? I don't have a problem with the nudity. This actually, it's very difficult not to talk about the other film, the one we're doing on the next podcast. But I'll save that mm. the, 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 on the subject of nudity. But no, I mean, I think it was it was one of those films. I was older than when I saw Nuns on the Run, but it was still surprising. <laughs> like, <it's>, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> it was like. It feels like a more legitimate film than you would see that much nudity in, and it, so it was interesting. The uh, like the the context of it's so casual about it. Nuns on the Run or Coffee? Coffee, <laughs> <laughs> Coffee. Nuns on the Run. I mean, Nuns on the Run. I saw when I was like, you know, I don't know how old it was when it came out, but when it came out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I just, I think that there's no sort of. I know, it, you know exploitation is the is the name but i don't think anyone was being exploited and no 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 but they so one of the arguments i've heard about exploitation cinema and i i don't know who this came from but it was in a, a documentary or an interview or something where they were talking about it being the exploit really it's about the exploitation of the audience not the exploitation of the people mm-hmm. making the film because it's like you're paying the same for this as you're paying for a regular movie we've Amazing. made it for Tuppence Hapney and we got all of the exteriors from a film lab in Romania because someone couldn't afford to get their negatives yeah. back and like it's all been made with sleight of hand and contracts and, well, and yet you're paying full whack for it 
And I've always quite liked that as a, as a distinction. I mean, obviously there are exploitation films out there that, where people behaved unpleasantly and it wasn't fun for the people involved. Mm -hmm. And I think that comes across and they're not very nice films. They're mm. not films I enjoy. But well, it just doesn't have that. And no, it doesn't. it doesn't. And, and you know, Pam Greer sort of um, was asked about this side of it, about the nudity in the film and sort of how she felt about it. And she quoted the uh, feminist uh, Gloria Steinem and said, uh, it's not oppression when you want to be beautiful and powerful for you. So she was basically enjoying, and Jack Hill says this as well, that she was basically proud of her body, and so, you know, why not? Yeah, and she's and she is, like, powerful. Like, she's a very, yeah. very powerful character, and you... Um, yeah, so you, powerful. You always feel like this, this woman is unbelievably kick-ass. Absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah, just to talk about, like, what you mentioned about you know um being shot for for a couple of dollars or whatever this film was made in 18 days yeah 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 which super is quick turnaround insane i i think i think you know it's quite hard to to put together a movie with this much like i don't know cool stuff and variety and set pieces and yeah it's definitely days. quite wide reaching considering that they lost an actor halfway through as well didn't they yeah, they did, yeah. Um, the, the cowboy. Yeah, um, which is, I, I feel is maybe part of why background characters come to the fore because they had someone step up and do, like... Oh, well, actually, I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about something that's very specifically put in. Oh, okay. So, you know, the blonde stripper in, when they meet in the, in the um, pub, uh, right, in the bar. Oh, okay, yeah. The blonde stripper yeah, in the yeah, background yeah, yeah, yeah. is, spoiler alert, the, the blonde at the end. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So stuff like that, which yeah, is... Yeah, that's nice, like seeding you know, characters. Yeah. Completely. And and Hill sort of, in terms of seeding characters, he paid attention to this kind of stuff because, um, you know, the, the, the one-eyed guy, um, the guy with the, the black oh. in, in his glasses, um, Hill deliberately um, cast an actor with one eye um, so that he could do that, that glasses trick because his logic was... This character appears and then vanishes for a long time in the movie, and so audiences might forget who he is. So <laughs> give him That's something visual nice. like that. Yeah, and, these, and this is what I'm talking about. These are the sort of you know ideas that people, not every single director, would necessarily There's have. One of the one of the writing doesn't say much for, for how he felt about the audience. <laughs> well, no, but, but so still, what I was going to say was uh, one of the one of the like people that writes about writing. I can't remember who it was, like. Um, Blake Snyder or you know one of those guys sure. says give each character a limp and an eye patch amazing which they mean as shorthand for something super recognisable the, the equivalent of anime hair you know so that you go okay this is the guy with the big blue spiky hair not the guy with the short pink spiky hair <laughs> like amazing so you know who everyone is immediately it's like oh it's that the coat guy oh it's blonde hair it's like acid blonde dyed hair guy oh it's one eyed man I kind of love that in movies yeah. so like Blade of the Immortal which uh, will be out on Arrow well which is based on an anime so exactly, exactly. Yeah, that, that, that has you know every single character has something weird yeah. and crazy and distinct in that um, yeah and I'd, I'd like to sort of talk a little bit about Sid Haig because um, I think he's he's great in it fantastic in it um, and he's great in general I think I kind of slightly underrated actor obviously he's uh being relatively rescued from obscurity by Rob Zombie. Well, but he, he was... It was and, not not so much that he was rescued, well. it's more that he was coaxed back. Yeah. Because he decided to step back from acting because he was sick of playing bad guys who got to do nothing more than point guns at people. It's like, I'm a fucking classically trained actor. This is... I don't want to do any of this. And, and the thing about Haig is that... Um, and, and Hill makes the most of this, I feel. He never wastes him in a close-up. And by that, I mean he's a very physical actor and he kind of acts with his whole Fuck, body. I mean, go to Spider, baby. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah, yeah. And, and, but this is what I mean. The great actors, it's not just a performance with the voice, it's not just a performance with the face, it's the whole body. Yeah. And, and Haig is eye acting. Yeah, yeah, a bit but of eye you, acting. But eye acting and then whole body acting. Exactly, and, and, and that's Haig. And, and I just think, you know, he's really, really charismatic and creepy and, and horrible and nasty in this movie. He's yeah. just so fucking great. And, and yeah, um, he'll let everyone sort of contribute their own ideas. And um, Haig was playing an Armenian character and because uh, he's from an Armenian background. Apparently written as Arabic. But, oh, then, but Haig was like, yeah, I'm going to do it Armenian. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> and yeah, just little things like, um, you know, the scene where he's um, sitting by the pool when coffee's yep. in prison. 
and uh, he's sat there and he's got the handkerchief with the knots tied. Like a, um, a Gumby. Yeah, that, that's, that, <laughs> that was his note. Oh, that was he his detail that because <laughs> he remembered his, his uh, Armenian relatives having the, the handkerchief. Oh, that's so, amazing. Um, and apparently um, <laughs> Pam Greer, some of her, a lot of her sort of contributions or details were linked to weapons, including using the bobby pin as, oh, yeah. as, a, as, a, as a deadly weapon. A and, and And Hill says, you know... That you know, Greer had had a lot of quite intense experiences. Well, it was her suggestion to hide the razors in her hair as well. Well, there we go. Yeah. That's amazing, right? I, Sorry, I you're going to say, that. but Greer had had bad ex- well, experiences. She, yeah, she she basically had life experiences which had had taught her that you can use a bobby pin sharpened as a weapon, and <laughs> presumably the the razor blades in the hair. That's an awesome detail. Um, I've got a, a little Sid Haig note for you. Oh, yeah. I was uh, listening to some old Sid Haig interviews uh, ahead of doing this, and he was talking about the fact that during the scene in the car when he eventually gets stabbed, mm. they split that between a location shoot for the pre-attempted sexual assault bit mm. and then a studio shoot for the, the more like closed set kind of stuff. But on the studio shoot, Rosie Greer was standing watching. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, Pam's slightly... Um, Worrying, <laughs> uh, imposing uncle. Is he? A, he's our uncle, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he was uh, watching throughout that scene, and Sid said he found it very upsetting. Well, you know, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, good on Greer. Like you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Make sure Pam's alright. Go and check on my niece. Yeah, and 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 you know, yeah. There's sort of um, some other interesting sort of family details about the film, I guess. Yeah, basically, Alan Arbus, who played the uh, sort of unlikely um, crime. Uh, thug leader um, is Diane Arbus's brother, so the famous photographer. Oh wow, okay, um, it's quite interesting. But anyway, we should <laughs> we should we should wrap this up. That was that was trivia. Yeah, um, that's all right. No, let's do it. Uh, do you want to do some recommendations based on it? Yes. Uh, how about you, start? Okay. So obviously, after '73, uh, when coffee kind of exploded onto screens, there was a big push. Uh, one of the nice things about uh, exploitation films, but exploitation films is that they're quite quick to make if you're shooting them in 18 fucking oh, just days. Just ridiculous. Uh, my first recommendation is another black exploitation film. It's from the following year, 1974. It's directed by John Kaplan, um, who also directed Over the Edge, which I think we've talked about before. Yeah, yeah, great uh, film. Fantastic movie. Uh, and it's Truck Turner. Oh, nice. Which was Isaac Hayes, uh, um, like, moving from behind the camera, uh, you know, doing music to in front of the camera, although he still does... Uh, at least most of the music in it. And that was another one where I heard the soundtrack before I, uh, I saw the film. And there's a, uh, a nine-minute car chase in it. And the track for that is nine minutes long. And it was on the same compilation CD hmm. as the coffee theme when I first heard it. Oh, uh, okay, and it's yeah. called In Chase of the Pimpmobile. <laughs> <laughs> and it's absolutely fucking brilliant. Um, I think there's... A, I've got a German Blu-ray of that. I think that's the only blue of it. And it's not the best print, so oh, obviously okay. someone could really give that a nice scrub, that'd be great. Arrow? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's a fantastic film. If you've not cool. seen it, it's um, it's well worth checking out. And um, yeah, if, if you're kind of like me and you, you know not an expert at blaxploitation... Um, I think coffee is a really good entry point. And, and actually, you know, if you're a, a Tarantino fan and you haven't watched any of these films, then it's kind of part of the education, I think. Certainly coffee's opening scene kind of has elements of Pulp Fiction and elements of Jackie Brown. Um, so in addition to coffee, I would recommend that you watch Foxy Brown, which is also on Arrow. It's another lovely print, and uh, it's one of the only other exploitation films I've seen. But... I love it. Um, it was uh, intended as being a, a sequel to Coffee. So if you love Coffee, then, you know, it kind of makes sense to, to watch Foxy Brown. And it was only sort of changed when uh, the, the production company, it's AIP, they did some research and realised that sequels to black exploitation movies don't tend to do particularly well. So they did a last-minute yeah. rewrite and, and retooled it. It was going it. to be called Burnt Coffee, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, no, I think... Was it Burn Coffee Burn or something, something like that? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, anyway. Yeah, so Foxy Brown, you can certainly see the the elements that connect it to coffee in the film. Like, you, you definitely can see it as being a sequel. But it's also its own thing, and, you know, it feels like it's got a, a bigger budget. It's got, like, this um, title sequence, which is kind of like uh, the most amazing Bond movie you've never seen <laughs> um, with Pam Greer 
um, being both James Bond and the women. The and the dance. sexy silhouette ladies. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, man, Foxy Brown uh, from 1974. If you love coffee, you'll love that. And if you've seen neither of them, then buy both of them because it's an amazing double bill. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, can I do give you a bit of Sid Haig, Pam Greer trivia? Sure. Um, when Sid was cast for the judge in uh, Jackie Brown, yeah, uh, which was a sort of he, apparently he was phoned by Tarantino and was just told he was doing it because they Tarantino wanted him for Pulp Fiction and it hadn't worked out, and so he turns up to do that and he hasn't seen Pam Greer for twenty seven years at this point I think he said, and um, it turned out they got onto set and Pam hadn't been told that he was going to be in the scene. So, yeah, he was, he oh, was sprung brilliant. on Pam Greer. Oh, so that peculiar great. relationship that I had with the Woman in Prison movies uh, and with Coffee, like, all of that, like, suddenly plays into that scene, like, those two being, uh, being thrown into a scene together. And, and, you know, just on Jackie Brown, like, yeah, I, for me, it might be my favourite Tarantino um, movie. I know that's quite a, a strong statement to make, but... Just if if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it. But talking vaguely, the final shot of that movie is the best <laughs> shot in Tarantino's career. Like the the way it gets across theme and character in a shot. You've yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've, you've, you've gone on about this not on the podcast, so I completely <laughs> believe you. Obviously, you've talked more explicitly about. Yeah, Why? I just think it's amazing. But yeah, it's, it's worth watching. Uh, yeah, uh, DM, follow Sam, DM Sam on, on Twitter if you want him to explain his theories on it. It's nice, it's good stuff. Yeah, thank you. Right, good. Um, yeah, my second recommendation, and I've got like, I kind of want to do a little rundown of black exploitation recommendations as well, but my next recommendation is a black exploitation genre cross. Uh, it's a horror black exploitation called The Zombies of Sugar Hill. Mm. As far as I know, it's the only uh, black exploitation zombie movie. Uh, obviously, they had an Exorcist knockoff with Abby, uh, and the Blackula movies, obviously, are vampire films. Uh, so there are other examples of horror black exploitation. I think it's the only zombie one. Um, it's really fun. It's got Baron Samadhi in it. <laughs> it's always good value. Um, it's also directed by uh, Paul Maslinski. It's the only film he ever directed. His main career highlight, other than that, is he's uh, one of the main producers on all of the Police Academy movies. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah, that's well worth tracking out. It's, it's High a, recommendation <laughs> indeed. Yeah, watch watch all the Police Academy movies. Those are my <laughs> recommendations. Uh, Mission to Moscow. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, it's 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 fun. It's fun to see how broad it goes as a as a subgenre. It's got so many little facets within it. Amazing. That sounds great. And so um, my second recommendation. I'm going to uh, use this opportunity to veer into my area of expertise, <laughs> <laughs> which is Shaw Brothers movies, but I think you'll agree that this is relevant. So uh, the movie's called The Sexy Killer from 1976, otherwise known as The Drug Connection. Um, and I'm just going to read you the plot description from IMDb, just to see if you can... Oh, uh, listeners love us reading on uh, IMDb, uh, apparently. Let's, let, let's, see, <laughs> let's see if you can understand why I'm recommending this one. So... A nurse decides to take justice in her own hands to fight the crime syndicates of Hong Kong after her sister is drugged and abused by some local drug dealers. So there are, there's some, there's some parallels there. It's basically an unofficial remake of Coffee, but it's basically more wild and crazy. There's similar um, scenes and moments throughout, um, particularly use of a shotgun and a car driving into a house. Um, <laughs> it's but one of the best bits in Coffee, I love that. It is, it's amazing. Um, but... There are enough differences that um, I can wholeheartedly recommend it. It is bonkers. So, um, yeah, that's it for recommendations based on this film. Uh, I, or is it? Yeah, a little extra one. Uh, get, check out Bone uh, with Yafet Koto. It's, oh, yeah. Uh, it, I, I saw it quite late in the, like, it, it wasn't one of the first run ones that I saw. I mean, obviously I saw it quite late. I wasn't old enough to see it when it came out. But, but like, when I discovered Black Exploitation, I, I didn't see it for a few years after that. And it's, it's absolutely fantastic. And Yafet's an amazing actor, just incredible. But it's one of my favourite of his performances, I think. And it's a, it's a sort of response to racial panic and, and white... Uh, like, the, 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 the building strength and confidence of the black community in America and how urban white America was responding to it. Um, do you know, for example, the only time the NRA and the states have petitioned for stronger gun control laws was when all of the 
like black communities started getting guns when the Black Panthers started like oh, wow. taking hold, and suddenly white America was like, "Oh no 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 not like this!" Oh, God. Uh, and that was the only time they pushed for stronger gun control laws. It's wow. ridiculous. Um, so yeah, Bones sort of part of that like um, socio political hubbub, that and it's fantastic. Great. It's great. very interesting. And just one more quick thing on coffee. I listened, I sort of took in these extras a while ago, but. I remember the Jack Hill commentary um, on coffee is fantastic. Yeah. He's got a lovely voice and um, <laughs> he's very honest and it's just, it's actually quite a soothing commentary. So uh, just in terms of extras and stuff, we should probably mention extras yeah, it's good. as well. So, it's, I think it's quite, yeah. it's been a, it's a title I put out a while ago, isn't it? It's not yeah. a recent title. Yeah, like, but I it's, think like 2013 or something yeah. like that. Yeah, like a while ago, a while ago. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's definitely worth tracking down. I think you can, it was, uh, I noticed it was in the... 2013. I don't know. It was in the last HMV sale in England. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know if it's out in the US on Arrow or if it's just a UK title. Probably not. But yeah, no, it's definitely worth grabbing and I think it's probably not too expensive now. Yeah. So let's do recommendations based on the past two weeks of our lives. Do you want to start, Dan? Yeah, go on. Yeah, good. Um, So my first recommendation is from the same year. 1973 was an amazing year for film. It was, actually. Um, Serpico. Oh, my God. Loads loads and loads of stuff. I've accidentally got a 73 movie in my recommendation. You can't help it. There there are so many great movies from 1973. My first recommendation (laughs) from 1973 is has a very awkward connection to coffee in that it harks back to a less enlightened era than 73. Sort of accidentally, it's one of those things where with hindsight you're like, yeah guys, that's not alright. But I'll get, I'll get to that bit in a minute. It's a very long film, it's uh, three and a bit hours, uh, from Lindsay Anderson, it's his follow-up to If, it's called Oh Lucky Man. It's a rise and fall and rise story uh, in which Malcolm McDowell, who obviously was in Anderson's If, plays a young man who is very dissatisfied with his lot in life uh, and goes on a sort of... You, you follow him through this sprawling life where he, opportunity after opportunity and some work out for him and some don't. It's a sort of weird patchwork of Britain at this point in, in the 70s. Uh, it's semi-musical in that the soundtrack is often... They just cut to the band playing the, uh, the music, which obviously adds a bit to the runtime. But one of the notable things about it is, and part of its message, is that every, like, act in the film has uh, a set of, you know, has its own characters, but they're very often played by the same characters, but the same actors playing different characters in each of these environments. So it's sort of saying, wherever you are in life, there's always these archetypes, there's always these people, types of people who are in it for, you know, whatever their motives. And Mirren turns up a lot in it. Uh, but Arthur Lowe... Um, is it Arthur Lowe? Is that my saying? My brain suddenly, I'm suddenly doubting the name. Uh, the Captain Mannering from Dad's Army. Is that Arthur Lowe? I think, it, I think it is. I think it is. Arthur Lowe is one of the recurring actors. And there is a scene in which he plays an African general in full black up. And it's deeply uncomfortable. I can't believe you're recommending this on the coffee episode. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, no, I, it literally only is. I, well, it's because it's, I watched it in the same week. So I was, I've been working. I've just finished on um, the new Peter Strickland film. And I was having a, I was recommended it by a, a black actress, if that helps. <laughs> I feel that I've got dispensation for watching a film that I didn't know had someone in black up in it if I recommended it by an amazing actress like Marianne Jean-Baptiste who basically went, yeah, I don't remember a huge amount about it, but there's a bit where a man wakes up with the body of a pig. Like, as his body. He's a human head on a, on a pig's body. I'm like, fuck yeah, no, I'm in. I'll do it. <laughs> and it's by Lindsay Anderson, which I didn't find out until later. That was, that was her only uh, pitch, was that it had that, the pig man and in it. And it sold you. Yeah, no, it's great. It's fantastic. Great. <laughs> it's, it's quite arduous. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really good. It's on... Um, it's on... If there's one word you want to hear in a film recommendation, it's arduous. I do not consider that a down point. I think there, there are... There are no, agreed, agreed. There's a, there is a certain pride in powering through those very, very long films. And, uh, and it's a, it really is a delight. It's a, like a gentle roller coaster. Yeah. I mean... Uh, Half-speed roller coaster. Spoiler alert, in our, in our next episode, I'm going to be recommending a four-hour, 17-minute experience. Oh, so, I think you've got yes. me beat. I don't think I can... I don't, I don't mind long, long viewing things. But uh, my first recommendation from the past couple of weeks is not going to be a four-hour movie. It is uh, a one-hour, 43 movie. 
named The Disaster Artist. Zippy. Now, oh, um, now, I watched this twice because I love it so much. Um, both at screenings, one on my own and one in which I took Dan with me because I knew that he would love it so much. I and, do. And he did. Now, uh, just in case you don't know what this is, it's basically a, a biopic of a director, a terrible director named Tommy Wiseau, who made one of the worst films ever made called The Room, which uh, was so bad, people love it. One of those films, uh, I'm sure you know this if you're listening to this podcast, you know all about The Room, you probably know all about The Disaster Artist. It's out this week in the UK. Um, James Franco is a revelation in it. It's fantastic. Um, He definitely deserves, and I actually feel like a lot of people have poured scorn on me for this, but I feel like this is something that could definitely get a a Best Actor nomination at the Oscars for Franco. I feel like it's in with a shot at Best Picture and definitely Best Adapted Screenplay. Um, It it is the sort of film... Everyone looks at me like I'm insane, but it's the sort of film that um, the Oscars love. Like It's about filmmaking, it's about acting. It kind of reminds me of Man on the Moon. It's got a similar sort of tone and vibe. Um, but we'll get onto that in a minute. I loved it, Dan. You loved it as well. Didn't I you? absolutely loved it. I mean, you know, I'm a, Frank, a Franco fan. I'm astonished he's not got several Oscars. A Francophile. A Francophile. <laughs> also a Francophile. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, the military general. Sure. <laughs> and Jess Franco. Of course. Did anyone call Franco? Yeah, no, I, I really like it. I, he really, really inhabits. Uh, Wiseau. Like, yeah. it's an absolutely fucking incredible transformation. It's, it's an eerie performance, yeah, actually. He's got I've some, never seen anything like yeah, it. He's got some very, very good prosthetics on. Yeah, he's Subtle, not overpowering, yeah, yeah, yeah. but he they they certainly help. But sometimes when you have one of those films where someone's in the prosthetics to make them look like the other person, it's a distraction. Yeah. But in this, it feels so fluid. His mannerisms and his behaviour is so perfect. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a fluid um, uh, adoption of this of this person that it's you, you you can occasionally forget that it's not actually Wazo. And there's more to it than you'd expect. It would be kind of easy for someone, and especially kind of those guys, uh, to do a film that's kind of really ripping into Wazo and like, you know, oh, the room, isn't it ridiculous, you know. It'd be very easy to make it feel like one of those screenings where everyone goes to laugh at the film and throw spoons and all the rest of it. But actually, I think there's something about Wazo that, that Franco deeply identifies with because he's made him a very sympathetic character and actually it will make you rethink the room it'll change the way you see it i think it's an incredible movie it's out this week in the uk so please go see it please yeah do check films like this because we want more films like this yeah more more films directed by jose franco (laughs) (laughs) what's your next one dan um my next one is uh, I actually watched directly after Coffee. So one of my oldest friends is uh, Gareth Betridge, who I'm hoping to be able to chat to in Extra Features. We'll see if that works out. Um, yeah, Dan's in charge of Extra Features again, so we're still hoping... <laughs> still that... hoping that there is anything at all. <laughs> Sam, has, Sam has made a very good point of demonstrating that it's not as easy as it looks <laughs> to be in charge of Extra Features, and that is why there weren't any last time, <laughs> and that is why we're interviewing my mate. <laughs> um, no, Gareth, has, um, Gareth and I uh, started working in a cinema in Winchester uh, at the same time when we were in our mid to early mid-teens, and um, and we've both uh, both sort of ended up in the film industry as well. So he he's actually working at Sony Pictures now. And but he is his represent like he he's the person with whom I watched the the black exploitation stuff right. at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Like he, he has a, a strong affinity to it as well. I love Gary. Um, he's, he's, he's a, he's a, a top lovely, lovely guy. And yeah, Doctor Who and black exploitation. That's his stuff. Oh, the best <laughs> stuff. But yeah, so we were chatting after having just watched Coffee. And uh, and he was he said what what was that film and he started describing a movie that we had watched I'd made him watch all those years ago and he was describing uh, Andrea Bianchi's Burial Ground aka Knights of Terror oh amazing um, and so we put that on and watched that immediately after uh, and it was incredible incredible fun to watch it again from. The little person who's been hard to play a child. I'm really gutted I missed this. Um, the, the, the accidental Shakespeare invocation with the line, Mother, this cloth smells of death. Mm. The astonishing moment of gore 
in the last 20 minutes uh, involving that little person slash child, which is just to this day incredible. And then also some really fun zombie genre bending as well, because it's got zombies working as a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, one zombie gives another zombie a shoulder up so it can use a scythe to behead someone out of a window. Like there's some, it's some pretty wacky, uh, pretty wacky stuff. And then obviously every time a zombie gets his head smashed, it's very obviously a plant pot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's, it's tremendous fun. It's one of my one of my favourites of the uh, of the weird old zombie movies. Yeah, and I, I kind of feel like you know I'm excited to hear what Gareth has to say. Should we uh, hear from him in extra features? Because I feel like you know, black exploitation being a gap in my knowledge. Um, it, I, I think it's because basically, I heard that title, and did think of black people being exploited. Whereas in actual fact, it's the complete opposite of that. It's the celebration of yeah, like I mean, black pride. There's the, there's the, there is a there's a troublesome argument when you look at what percentage of the directors are white, right? Like, uh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. you know, Hill's white, uh, Cohen who did Bone is white, uh, Maslinsky who did um, uh, Sugar Hill is white, mm. Kaplan who did Tractona is white. Like, there, you know, these are white directors telling black stories. And they are obviously all ca- through a caricature lens. Mm. Like rewatching Truck Turner again recently, um, a director friend asked, uh, "What were my favourite car chase sequences in films?" He wanted uh, he wanted to beef up on some extra car chases he'd never seen for a for a project he had coming up. And I said, "Right, you're coming around, and we're watching the German Blu-ray of Truck Turner because it's got a nine minute car chase in it with an amazing bit of music." And um, and I had forgotten how. It borders on pantomime. I think that's, yeah, I think that's it. And I think that's why I like the Jack Hill stuff, because, you know, it is less caricature It is more uh, a collaboration rather than, you know, uh, a quote-unquote exploitation. And there is that feeling of black pride. And there's the fact that he did genuinely try to get a black crew for it. And, you know, at the time that these films were made, I'm definitely not defending it, but... You know, there weren't really any black directors. Um, So I don't know. It's kind of a tricky area, really. But, um, you know, I still recommend that people watch Coffee. And my next recommendation from the the past couple of weeks, which is Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond, featuring a very special contractually obligated mention of Tony Clifton, (laughs) the full title, um, which is on Netflix now. You may have already watched it if you have an interest in this kind of thing, but... Um, if you haven't, it will make an amazing double bill with the disaster artist because it's a documentary about the making of Man on the Moon. Now, I really love Man on the Moon, but even if you haven't seen that film, you'll still enjoy this documentary. It's still fascinating because it's all about how Jim Carrey went super, super method to play Andy Kaufman to the extent that I think he genuinely believed that he was possessed by the ghost of Kaufman. And it's basically constructed entirely of footage from the time uh, taken on set when they were shooting the movie and a talking head interview with Carrie, and that's it. It's not like one of these making-of documentaries where they talk to everyone involved. It's literally just Carrie reflecting on making this movie, what, 20 years ago? Um, and it is astonishing. Um, the footage is unbelievable. Um, Carrie himself, it's kind of like half making of, half self-help film. Because <laughs> um, obviously Carrie has become a little bit of a... Well, he's kind of always been a bit of a hippie. And he's always been interested in stuff like quantum physics and all the rest of it. And so, yeah, it's him sort of giving his philosophy on life. And and actually, also, you get an incredible, weird insight into his general career and how much his movies lined up with what was going on in his life at the time. Yeah, it's it's a really, really fascinating, very weird documentary. It's from um, the guy who directed American Movie, which is... Oh, which is a oh American movie. Movie's incredible. It's just a great film as well. So yeah, that's another recommendation. So yeah, I'll definitely second that. Okay, so here's the thing. I don't know very much about Andy Kaufman, uh-huh. and I'm not a massive fan of Jim Carrey. Right. I'm, I don't like gurning comedy <laughs> right. very much. So I've never seen Man on the Moon. Yeah. But I love American Movie. Yes. Will I enjoy Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond, featuring a special contractually obligated mention of Tony Kaufman? <laughs> <laughs> 
I, it, that's a tough one because um, yes, in that you will learn about Andy Kaufman, like you basically they give as much information in the documentary about him as they do in the movie Um, and he's just you know uh, I was a Kaufman fan going into Man on the Moon so that's you know that kind of hooked me already Um, he's just a really 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 important uh, and interesting comedian Um, I used to do stand up comedy and um, so yeah I was and it was slightly influenced by Kaufman and so yeah um I do think that you'll probably enjoy it if you can get past the fact that it features Jim Carrey, who, you know, presumably you hate. Well, I don't hate him. I just like, you know, there's a lot of films to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Talking true. of which, Talking going of on which. to my third recommendation, yes. which, given my fucking high horsing a second ago about picking and choosing your movies... <laughs> oh, looking forward to Sam, this. Sam's just looked at my list, I think, and, and seen it. Is The House... The Will Ferrell, Amy Poehler movie from this year, directed by Andrew Cohen, it was... The first I heard about it was everyone talking about how it was obviously going to be a piece of shit. They weren't letting critics see it ahead of release, which is always a bad sign. It was... I think they pulled back the release date a little bit. Like, all of the telltale signs that mean a movie's going to be terrible were, were there. And I... My wife and I watched it on, a like, a Sunday afternoon... Uh, on Amazon On Demand because it was a comedy and we didn't want to have to engage our brains and we thought, you know what, we'll give it a go, it's fine. And I really enjoyed it. It felt like a revisit of the sort of volunteers, bachelor party era, 80s comedies. Like, a lot of the, a lot of the complaints about it were about tonal inconsistencies. They were saying it doesn't make any sense that these characters would behave like this. I literally don't give a fuck about any of that. The tonal inconsistencies are fantastic. It's by the guy that directs... by um, Andrew Cohen, who directed Talladega Nights, which is my... Like, it's probably my favourite Will Ferrell movie. I, I really like tonal inconsistency. It's a fantastic way of sideswiping people. It's why I enjoy Korean films. It is... It's very, very violent in places, which is always hilarious when it's done in a comedy setting. It's obviously not going to be for everyone. I also quite like Freddy Got Fingers, but this I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I think it's, uh, if you, you know, if you've got a lazy afternoon and you've come back from a slightly boozy Sunday lunch, it's a really good watch. Oh, and we, we play a, a comedy movie game now. Whenever we watch a modern American comedy, it's how long until Jason Manzoukas turns up. We, we place bets. When is the Manzoukas cameo? He doesn't have a cameo in this. He's got a main role. He's like third string and he's fantastic in it. It's really nice to see him getting some proper screen time. And he's very, very good in it. Now, um, now Dan and I are very lucky in that there is a, a young man who listens to this show named Nick Vestberg, um, at Nick Vestberg on Twitter. And he's done uh, a letterboxed collection. <laughs> um, film list, Arrow video podcast on Letterboxd. Now, the reason Dan's laughing here is because he knows full well that he's tainted that that beautiful collection of films. I used to look on it with pride. Technically, he's got to add all of the Police Academy movies as well. (laughs) He he is a bit behind Nick, so um, yeah. um, We uh, we we really yeah. Really oh, it's, it's an amazing that. thing. I, you know what? I actually use it as a tool to make sure I'm not recommending films I've already mentioned. We're only what twelve in, eleven in. Well, thank goodness that's the last we'll hear of the house from 2017. Yeah. No, no, I'm going to recommend it every week. So, Sam, what's your third recommendation? Uh, it's the outfit, which is also from 1973, purely coincidentally. And uh, now I sort of came to this because it's a film that I've seen before but I, I basically saw the indicator of putting out Charlie Varick um, oh, yeah. and which is a, a movie that I've shown um, Dan in the past I think we did Dan and I did a double bill when we, where we both showed each other one film that the other person hadn't seen that we loved so, yeah. yeah that we loved so I did Charlie Varick and you did Massacre Gun I believe uh, was it I don't think that was, it was, was yeah, okay. it was that it was that double bill so um, that was super fun but yeah the, the news that Indicator are putting out on Blu-ray made me revisit the film that I normally watch in a double bill um, with Charlie Varick, which is The Outfit, which stars Robert Duvall as a a guy who who robs a a mafia bank, like a mob bank, similar to Charlie Varick, um, gets sent to prison, and when he's released, he starts a war against the crime outfit that owned the bank, basically. 
And it's got Joe Don Baker in it. It's got Karen Black. It's an amazing cast. Timothy Carey, for all the Timothy Carey fans out there. I know there are some of you listening to this. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing film. Super cool. And it has the best final line uh, of any film that we've recommended today. Um, and final sequence. You say that, but it's... you've not seen The House, have you? <laughs> oh, God. I genuinely thought that was Haozu. I thought that that was 77, not 17. And oh, I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, Haozu, get on board. Oh, that's great. Well, that'll come up. We'll do that one. That's an amazing film. Yeah, it is. My okay. T-shirt's got a hole in it. So, oh, Dan has a Haozu T-shirt. Um, Bright orange shirt. That he's known for as long as... That he's known? That he's had for as long as I've known him. So no wonder it's got a hole in it. Really? Have I had yeah. it that long? Yeah. It was yeah. a uh, it was a free gift with the pre-order of the Criterion Blu-ray of Hazu. Oh, amazing. Ooh, Arrow t-shirts. Oh yeah, no, that'd be great. Something to do about, some isn't it? Got, I mean, it's not like you're not getting in some nice artists to do some work, artwork. Exactly. Um, so it is now time for drumroll extra features. Extra features. Extra features. And um, sadly, we weren't able to speak to Gareth. Um, I will try and get him on a future podcast. But we've run a little long anyway, so maybe uh, maybe it's for the best. <laughs> Let's do our tweeters. Let's do that. I am 13fingerfx, that's 1-3-F-I-N-G-E-R, and then Foxtrot X-Ray. I tweet about some things. I'll be tweeting a lot about the Biffers in the near future. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, Either very angry or very happy. <laughs> amazing. And I am at Sam Ashurst, which is S-A-M-A-S-H-U-R-S-T, and I'm planning on tweeting about the fact that I have a music video on Channel 4 in a couple of weeks on <laughs> December the 14th. <laughs> Look at us go. Um, in the big time. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for oh, listening. Oh, we need to do the email. We promised we'd do the email. See, I knew I'd forget. No, but do I don't it. know it. Arrowvideo at dot internet dot at. So yeah, if you email us at arrowvideo.internet at, you will get <laughs> us direct a line. special prize. Yeah. Um, uh, it's arrowvideopodcast at arrowfilms.co.uk, is that right? that's right. Yeah, I is believe that right? that's right. Um, if it's not right, it's close enough that you won't know you've got it wrong. Yeah, exactly. You'll get a bounce back. If you, we, we've said it right on one of the podcasts. Definitely. So. Just go and listen to all the podcasts. If you do message and you don't hear back from us, and we, you won't, might not hear back from us, we might just mention it on another podcast, but just send, let us know that you've sent us a thing on Twitter as well. Send us a, a message on Twitter. Um, or, no, just email us. It's fine. And, and we what actually. It's wrong. It's, it's fine. Um, thank you so much for listening, and we promise, double promise, we'll be more professional next time. Speak for yourself. <laughs> Thank Bye-bye. you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.